Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your church and we thank you for the way your church has preserved your word over the centuries so that we have it here before us now. Lord, we pray that we may understand what your word says about our Lord Jesus Christ this morning and may he be exalted and nothing else. Lord, we pray that we may renew our commitments to him as his house and we pray that the people here this morning who may not be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have never committed themselves to him. We pray that this may be the morning where they join your universal church, your invisible church, and have eternal life as a result of this morning's sermon. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever had to adopt someone new into your life at the expense of reducing your affections for someone else and then struggle with your affections still being for that person that you used to love. The most clear example of this in my life is when I got married. I went from loving many things that my mother did for me and moving to having to love the things that my wife did for me. It was a bit of a struggle for my Self, not to compare constantly Jill with my mother and how well she took care of me. Uh, my mother looked after me very, very well. And one of the things that I missed, particularly when I got married, was her homemade bread. My mother, from whenever, from as far as I can remember back, has always baked her own bread. And so that is what I had for toast pretty much every morning of my life. Uh, up until I got married. And I loved my mum's homemade bread. And so when I got married, there was this tension of breakfast at the new house is not as good as breakfast at the old house. And for a while there, my mum was very kind, and she used to uh, bake bread, slice it up, put it in bags, in freezer bags, and bring it over so that I could freeze it and have it in the freezer and so I could still have mum's breakfast even though I was living in a new home. It was hard for me to transfer my affections in some areas from my mother to my wife, but that's part of getting married. I leave my old home and go to a new home with my wife. Last week we started looking at Hebrews chapter 3 and we were told to fix our minds upon Jesus. And uh, so I fairly strongly hammered that from verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 3. If you've got a black church Bible, you can see it for yourself in page 1185, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling... Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the Apostle and High Priest whom we confess. So last week I encouraged you, fix your thoughts on Jesus. And I gave reasons why it is appropriate to fix our thoughts on Jesus. But the original readers of this book, when they received this letter, would have been questioning, what does that then mean we do with the person that we've loved and cherished for so long? Who is that person that they have loved and cherished? Well... Moses was the person that they loved and cherished. And so next verse, verse 2, the author picks up on this thought that he would know that they'd be thinking. He says, He was faithful, that's Jesus, to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been, uh, the author of Hebrews has been careful in chapter 1 and chapter 2 to compare Moses to angels and show that Jesus is far superior to angels. Now he's picking up on the idea 
of whether Moses is inferior or superior to Jesus. Where does Jesus fit in with Moses? Because for the Jews, Moses was the big shot. Moses was the one who had rescued them from Egypt, who had brought them out of the land of slavery, as so many of their psalms and other writings had reminded them again and again, the reason you are free in the land of Israel is because of Moses. And Moses was the one who taught them the law, who gave them the Ten Commandments, who gave them the many other laws that regulated their lives, told them how to live if they were to experience God's blessing. So Moses was the big shot. Moses was the one that they fixed their thoughts on. He was the one that they adored and cherished. But now the author of Hebrews is saying there is someone that is superior to Moses, and that is Jesus. And so he says that in verse 3. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. He's making an amazing statement here. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, which would have floored most Jews, because Moses is the be-all and end-all. He is the one who saved them from Egypt. He's the one who's given them the law. So who is greater than Moses? The author here says Jesus is worthy of greater honour than Moses. And so you need to start moving your affection from Moses to Jesus, just like I had to move my affection from my mother and all that she used to do for me to my wife and what she does for me. I have to move my affection to my wife. And the author of Hebrews is saying you need to move your affection to the one who is worthy of greater honour, and that is Jesus. And so this morning we're going to look at why is Jesus worthy of greater honour? Why is this statement true? This bold statement that comes from the author of Hebrews that Jesus is worthy of greater honour than Moses. And so if you want to uh, follow along my main points this morning about why Jesus is worthy of greater honour, they're there on the back of the church bulletin. And my first one this morning is Jesus is worthy of greater honour as the builder of the house. The builder of a house is always greater than the house that he actually builds. And that is even taught to us in verse 3. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. We know this for a fact. If you look at a great building, you look at it and go, wow, that is fantastic. But then you recognise that the person who actually built it is greater than the building. The building did not form itself. Someone actually took the time to plan, an architect, draw up plans about what is going to be there and then get someone to actually build it, get all the materials together and put it up into place. And so often when we uh, look at buildings, people will associate the name of that building with the architect that that designed the building because we know that the architect, the person who designed the building, is greater than the building itself. And so we see this here with the house of God, that the builder of the house of God is greater than the house of God itself. What is the house of God? Well, it's the people of God. The people of God are called God's house again and again in the Bible. So who is the builder of God's house then? If the The greater person is the one who built God's house. Who built it? Was it Moses who built God's house? Well, in some ways, yes, Moses was the builder of God's house. He is the one who brought 
The Israelites gathered them together, united them, brought them out of Egypt. Then he united them again by giving them laws that would regulate their lives and make them very distinct from the other nations around them. So Moses, from all appearances, is the builder of God's house. But we must remember that Moses was only doing his building through the strength of the master builder. That Moses is not the master builder behind God's house. Who is the master builder behind God's house? Well, verse 4 tells us, For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. God is the builder of his house. He uses people like Moses, but he is the master builder behind Moses. How did Moses bring the people out of Egypt? He brought them out by performing great miracles, great plagues against the Egyptians so that the Egyptians actually expelled the Israelites from Egypt. Now, did Moses bring those plagues about? Was it Moses' strength that caused those plagues to happen to Egypt? No, it was God's power going through Moses and performing those plagues. God was the builder of his house, of the Israelites, bringing them out of Egypt. It was by his power that he brought them out of Egypt. And then the laws that Moses gave, did Moses make those laws up? No, he went up on a mountain and he got them directly from God. God is the builder of God's house. He is the one who is built it. And so therefore God is worthy of greater honour than Moses. Yes, it looks like Moses is the builder of God's house and deserves great honour. But we must remember that God is the master builder, the one who worked through Moses. Now, what does that have to do with Jesus then? Because the whole idea of this passage is that Jesus is worthy of greater honour than Moses. And of course, we'd recognise that God is worthy of greater honour than Moses. Uh, Yes, that he is worthy of greater honour than Moses. But where does Jesus fit in? Well, Jesus is God. The New Testament tells us again and again that Jesus is God. And even back in verse 8 of chapter 1, we've seen the author of Hebrews explicitly say that Jesus is God. Verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 1, just back on the previous page. We see, it says, But about the Son, he, that's uh, the, the, um, the Old Testament, God himself, says... Your throne, O God, will last forever. See the connection there? Verse 8, about the Son, he says, and then he says, your throne, O God. Talking about the Son. The Son is God. The Son is on the throne as king, and he is God. And in this passage that we're looking at in chapter 3, it's implied there that Jesus is God, although it says um, God is the builder of everything, It's a reference to Jesus Christ. Jesus is God, and so he is the builder of everything. He is the one who has built God's house. He built God's house in the Old Testament by bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. It was Jesus who performed those plagues. Jesus' power who made those plagues happen to the the Egyptians so that the Israelites would leave. It was through Jesus that Moses received the Ten Commandments and all those laws. Jesus gave those laws. 
So Jesus is the builder of God's house in the Old Testament. Moses is used as an instrument, but Jesus is the ultimate one. And then Jesus in the New Testament is also the builder of God's house. How does Jesus build God's house in the New Testament? He takes people out of slavery once again and gives them laws. What is the slavery that they're taken out of? Slavery to sin. How does Jesus do that? By dying on the cross. He is the one who redeems people out of a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light and then gives them laws by which they're meant to obey. His own laws, the laws of Christ, by which they're meant to be distinct from the people around them. Jesus is the one who builds God's house in the Old Testament and he builds God's house in the New Testament by redeeming people from slavery to sin. And so Jesus is definitely worthy of greater honour than Moses. The Hebrews here should not slip back into affection for Moses at the expense of affection for Jesus. Just like I shouldn't slip back into affection for my mother when I've committed myself to a new house, to a house with my wife, Jill. So it is with these Hebrews. They've got to remember that Jesus is worthy of greater honour as the builder of God's house. That's my first main point. The second main point is Jesus is worthy of greater honour as the fulfiller of promises. We must remember that Moses was part of an incomplete stage. Moses was not the final stage in God's plan. It wasn't as though the Israelites came out of Egypt, went into the promised land, set up shop there, and it was the end game. And so we find that when Joshua ends, that's the end of the story. No, Moses knew that there was another stage coming in God's plan for his house. He pointed towards someone to come that was even greater than him. And we read that in Deuteronomy chapter 18 just before about a prophet that would be raised up like Moses from among their own brothers and everyone must listen to that prophet, Moses says. So Moses knew that someone greater was coming. And so he testifies about that. And so this there in verse 5. It says, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. Moses was focused on the future as the final stage in God's plan. He knew that his part in God's house was an incomplete part that it wasn't the final stage, that there was someone to come who was a greater prophet than him and was someone who would be a greater sacrifice than the sacrifices that Moses commanded the people to offer. And we're going to see that if we keep going through Hebrews, as I keep preaching through this book, that the sacrifices of bulls and goats, of animals, never took away sin. Those sacrifices simply pointed to a better sacrifice to come, a sacrifice of a uh, a sinless man who is man but also God and he is the one who would take away sins finally and completely. And so, of course, he is worthy of greater honour because he is the one who fulfils the promises that are given there by Moses. Moses was part of an incomplete stage. Moses spoke about things to come, whereas Jesus actually did the things that were to come. So it's kind of like, who is the greater person? The person who reports about something 
or the person who actually does the thing. It's like the Olympics will eventually come up and what is, what is greater, what is worthy of greater honour? The television set that tells you about these athletes that are doing marvellous feats of human strength or the athletes themselves? Who is greater, your television set? I mean, I like my TV set, but is it greater than the athletes who are actually doing the things that the television reports? Of course it's the athletes. And so it is with Moses and Jesus. Moses predicts what Jesus would do, and then Jesus does it. Who is worthy of greater honour? Moses for predicting it or Jesus for doing it? Of course it's Jesus who fulfills those promises. Jesus who does the things that Moses predicted. He is worthy of greater honour. So we've seen Jesus is worthy of greater honour as the builder of the house. And he's seen that he's worthy of greater honour as the one who fulfills the promises. He fulfills the future that Moses predicted. My third main point then is that Jesus is worthy of greater honour as the son See, we see that Moses has a particular role to play, and that's in verse 5. What's Moses' role? It says in verse 5, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house. What is Moses? He's a servant. And this word for servant here in the Greek is not the usual word for servant that's often used. That can also mean slave. It's actually more of a, a minister, someone who is given special duties. And so Moses is a fairly decent, uh, has a fairly decent role here. He's a minister in God's house. If you want to be uh, important in somebody's eyes, then being a servant for them is a pretty good way to get in a good relationship with them. If you know someone that's very powerful and you want to get close to them, become one of their servants. And so if you want to be close to God, become one of his servants. And not just become a servant, but become a servant in God's house. That's what it says there in the text. Verse 5, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house. He's in the house. It's kind of like if if someone very powerful has lots of servants, who are the servants that are in the closest relationship to him? The ones that live in his house. The butler that opens the door and may do lots of other things for that powerful person. I always like the idea of having a butler myself. Um, And if you uh, wanted to be in a privileged position with someone, you'd live in their house as their servant. And so to be one of God's servants in his house is a great privilege it does show that Moses is worthy of great honour. But how does that compare to Jesus and Jesus' position in relationship to God? What does it say? But Christ is faithful as a son. Jesus is the son of God. He's like no other minister, no other servant. He is the son And a son is always greater than a servant because of the special relationship that goes on between a father and son. And so Jesus is clearly greater than Moses because he's just a son. But then see how it's described him as the son in the house? Is he in the house like Moses? What does it say? Verse 6, but Christ is faithful as a son over 
God's house. Moses is in God's house. Jesus is over God's house. Jesus is the one who is in charge of God's house. Moses, he's just a servant. Jesus is the one who barks the orders and Moses does them. So Jesus is clearly greater of, uh, of, of deserves greater honour. Because he is the one who is over the house, over in charge, and he probably has the top floor. The people who always, uh, um, uh, the, the big shots in a house, they always seem to live at the top. You get the best views at the top. So he's like in the penthouse of the apartment complex that God has for his house. Jesus is in the top floor. He has a special key for the lift that takes him to the very top floor. He is the one who is over the house. And so he is far greater than Moses. Moses, though, is worthy of honour, but Jesus is worthy of greater honour. It's not as though the writer here is belittling Moses and saying that Moses is of no consequence. What does it say about Moses in verse 2? He was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Moses was a good servant. He was a faithful servant. And just in case we missed it, verse 5 tells us again, Moses was Faithful as a servant in all God's house. Moses is a good servant. He is a faithful servant. But Jesus is faithful as well, just in case we missed it. Verse 2, he, Jesus, was faithful. Verse 5, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful. Both men are faithful. But Jesus is superior by the fact that he is the builder of the house, by the fact that he is the son and over the house, and by the fact that he fulfills the things that Moses simply predicted. Jesus is of, of greater honour than Moses. And so these Hebrews, these Israelites who are slipping into thinking that they should continue to give great honour to Moses, should remember who Jesus really is in comparison to Moses. So that's Moses and Jesus. Now what about you? Where does that leave you in this passage? Well, that brings me to my fourth main point in verse 6, where we're told to give Jesus honour by being part of the house. Verse 6, But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. You can be a part of God's house, built by Jesus, and therefore give honour to Jesus. Just like a house, a really nice house or a really nice building, gives honour to the architect, the builder. You can be a part of God's house and give honour back to God by being a part of his house. You can be a testimony to the goodness of God, the love of God, who has taken you a sinner and made you a part of his house. And if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I encourage you to do that. Become part of God's house today and give glory back to the builder who made you physically and who died for your sins if you will accept his sacrifice for you. Repent of your sins. Acknowledge that you're a sinner, that you've done bad things, and believe that Jesus Christ died for you, that the sacrifice at the cross was Jesus taking the punishment that you deserve. That is how you get to be a part of God's house. People misunderstand all the time. They think 
the way to get a, to be a part of God's house is by being a good person. If I'm a really good person, then I'm part of God's house. I'm a Christian then, if I'm a good person. No. Remember who builds God's house? It's Jesus. He does all the work. Where does he do all the work? At the cross. That act at the cross is sufficient for you to be a part of God's house. Being a good person is not going to get you to be a part of God's house. Repenting of your sins and believing that Jesus died for you is how you get to be a part of God's house. You accept that God has done it all in Jesus. He is the master builder. He has done everything. You simply accept his sacrifice for you. Not your good works get you to be a part of God's house. It's Jesus alone. So I encourage you, be part of God's house this morning if you're not already. Repent of your sins and believe that Jesus died for you. But if you are a Christian, I want to encourage you to make sure you persevere because only then are you part of God's house. That's what it says in the text. And we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. You must hold on to your hope. And what is your hope? Jesus. He is your hope. The salvation that he brings the hope that you have of eternal life, it is through Jesus and you must hang on to him if you want to be a part of his house. Why should I say that? Because there's always a temptation to love other things and give other things greater honour than Jesus. Just like these Hebrews were being persecuted for being Christians and therefore slipping back to wanting to worship Moses to give Moses greater honour than Jesus because of the persecutions they're experiencing. We have the same temptation. We want to worship things, give greater honour to things that God has made as the master builder rather than worship him as the builder. Things that are often very good, we want to give greater honour than Jesus. Things like other people, Other people are very good. They're all made in the image of God. We have loving relationships with family and friends. But when we become a Christian, sometimes those family and friends attack us for being a Christian. And then we face a choice. Are we going to give greater honour to friends and family who are made by God? Or are we going to give greater honour to the one who made our friends and family? And even if our relationships with them break and we don't see or hear from them again, who is going to get the greater honour? Are we going to be like these Hebrews and slip back into worshipping Moses? We're going to slip back into exalting family and friends at the expense of Jesus. Or it may not be friends and family, it may be things like material wealth, worldly possessions, things made by God. God has given us wealth. Wealth is a good thing. But when we start to exalt it above Christ, it becomes a bad thing. And when we become a Christian, persecution can come and encourage us to worship wealth, money, possessions more than Jesus because people start to attack us for being a Christian. We might lose our job. We might have to give some things up for Jesus. And so we don't want to do that. And so we slip back into worshipping materialism rather than Jesus, giving greater honour to things that God has created rather than giving greater honour to the Creator 
himself. So remember that although you used to worship those things when you were a non-Christian, you must be like these Hebrews and exchange them for something better. Remember what you've exchanged them for, for Jesus, the one of worthy of greater honour. And so you need to do what? You need to hold on to your courage. You need to be strong in the face of persecution, where you might lose friends and family, where you might lose material wealth for being a Christian. And you must hold on to grasp firmly the hope of which you boast, that is Jesus, despite what the world may be doing to you. You hold on to Jesus because then you are a part of God's house. God's house is not made of people who don't hold on to Jesus. They're people who repent and believe in him and trust him. They aren't people who kick him to one side and worship other things as a priority instead of him. So do you give greater honour to Jesus than anything else? Do you hold on to Jesus as the master builder? the one who created all things, or do you hold on to things that are created by him at the expense of giving priority to him? Do you hold on to Jesus because he is the one who fulfills promises, not as someone who makes promises like Moses, but as the one who actually fulfills them? Do you hold on to Jesus because he is the son over the house and not a servant in the house? He is the one who is over all things. Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for what your word reveals about your son, Jesus Christ, and how he is far superior to Moses. And we know that Moses would say this himself because he predicted that Jesus would come and he would want us to focus our lives upon Jesus rather than him. Lord, we may not be tempted, though, to focus our lives upon Moses like these Jews were, but there are so many other things that you have created that we love to exalt over Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we may give him the greater honour as the master builder, the one who fulfils promises, and the one who is son over your house. Lord, we pray that Jesus may be clearly seen in our lives to be the one that we give the greatest honour. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.